Welcome to episode seven, season three of Dad Pod. Oshigensburg, Charlie Clawson. How was your week, Charlie? Is everything settled down with Iona? Uh, Iona is fine. The weather has gone crazy. Uh, I'm not sure if you follow the news, Osh, but uh, northern New South Wales has been absolutely drenched in water. I, in I don't the know last, what you're talking uh, about, man. I'm actually like I'm actually recording this right now from a, a saturation dive pod as I um, <laughs> you know get down to uh, operating. Uh, pressure. <laughs> Sydney's fucking yeah. underwater. <laughs> You've turned into James Cameron. You're in this uh, a, a one-man submersible pod doing the podcast. A submersible pod doing the pod. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sydney's um, a suburb of Sydney called Penrith. Um, the Hooters in Penrith now has a permanent wet T-shirt night. It is uh, <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell, man. That's <laughs> a lot of water. You went. Uh, you had actually home flooding. You had a f- bit of flood situation in your house, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, it's a classic thing. I was saying to Jen the other day. It's like it's funny how nothing's an issue until it personally affects you. And I remember when we bought this place. In fact, the day I arrived and um, got the keys from the previous owners, they even took me on a tour of the house and showed me all the stormwater drains. And their advice was like, "Look, it drains fine, but in heavy rain, you might want to think about it, like having a." installing a third outlet drain to the street from the stormwater because it can back up. And I was like, oh, that's fine. I won't worry about that. And then with this record rainfall, the stormwater drains have just been filling so quickly that it's been backing up and getting into our downstairs living room. Not catastrophic flooding, but just water has been creeping in, through, seeping in through the concrete and creeping into the room. And so it's been just a constant cycle of soaking up towels, taking up the laundry, washing those towels, bringing them back down, mops. And it got to the point yesterday where it was so heavy that I'm like, I need some help. So I I did some research on like how to siphon because it's like the drains are filling up so quick. I need to get, if I can't build an outlet, I'm just going to get like a hose of some kind and just drain the, the, the drain myself. So I went to Bunnings and God damn, I love those people at Bunnings. Like they put me straight onto the plumbing expert and uh, he uh, showed me a range of sump pumps, oh, yeah. which are these automatic pumps where they have a, a trigger, which the water gets to a certain level and they start pumping for you. So the issue for me is that my stormwater drains aren't quite deep enough to trigger the sump pump. So periodically I've been having to go outside and just turn them on. So I've been getting soaked. At at this stage, it's eased off a little bit, but uh, last night and this morning, probably every four hours I was heading out and it was like I was in a perfect storm. I would head out for less than two minutes and I'd come back drenched from head to toe, but at least I've been managing to divert water away from my house. Keeping your family safe and dry. Do you feel like the dad of the year? Keeping my family safe. That's right. I've been going to work for my family, Osh, and that's a lovely segue to talk about getting back to work, which yeah. is the theme of Episode 7 of Dad Pod. It is. Look, it's a really important part. You have this beautiful kind of cocoony moments when you're in the, in the hospital with baby and you're kind of bedding in and figuring out the routine, and then you get home, and if you're lucky and you get a couple of days of work, you're kind of around all the you know the hormones and the pheromones, and your brain's getting full of oxytocin, and it's incredible, and then eventually you start getting the emails going through like, oh, your credit card bounced and the, the payment for your dock box is done and, and you're like, fuck, I better get get some money. Gotta get to, one of us is gonna have to go back to work here. And that's a real <laughs> that's a real challenge because A, you'll never have more fun hanging out with the tiny little baby. And B, your partner needs it. It's not a one person job. Mm. It's a more than a one person job. It takes a lot of support because particularly if she's feeding, she's going to be super tired. So if she's going to work or you're going to work, you're going to have to figure some things out. Yeah. And that's where like 
discussions with your employer or your place of work beforehand is probably very important. You want to give them an idea of how much time you're taking off work and when you're planning on returning to work. Now, this is a different episode of Dad Bod because ordinarily we get a, a, a dad on to talk us through their experiences. And we needed to get someone on who had a nine to five job who could talk about, you know, the block of time they had off and then going back to their nine to five job. But the problem is, Osh and I work in purely entertainment industries and there are not many nine to fivers that we Man, have contact with. I literally don't, I don't think, I know anyone of, I guess, you know, a, a public profile, well, I, don't, I don't know anyone that has no. a, like a clocks on and clocks off kind of job. So, so what, what, what we thought we'd do with this episode instead is sort of just dig deeper into our experiences about how Osh and I, because we had very different experiences of, of getting back to work. Mm. Osh went back to work. I stayed at home. So we're going to give you our version of events. But obviously, if you're listening to this and you do work a nine-to-five job, that's going to be a different kettle of fish. Yeah. Well, well the first place you should start, if, if you live in Australia, the first place you should start is the Fair Work website. Now, decades and decades of hard-fought policy changes have been put in place and you have access to these things now thanks to the people who work very, very hard to put them in place before us. So if you've worked for your employer for at least 12 months in Australia, you are eligible for paid parental leave, which is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Another thing um, that Fair Work um, has in Australia is that you have the right to return to the same job as you left, which I think is, is really is really important because when you're coming back to work, you might be like, yeah, you know what, I can handle that. But if your role has changed, it's a bit of a bit of a shifty one if, if particularly you're coming back to work and they go, oh, no, no, but now there's also forklift driving involved, so not eligible for the role anymore. Oh, mm. You might want to leave. You know, like there's, there's, that's wild. The other thing that blew my mind about the Fair Work website, there's breastfeeding rights, Charlie. What? Breastfeeding. You have a right for a place to feed or express. Oh, yes. Regular breaks on top of your usual work breaks and a place mm. to safely store express milk. And I know that your wife, Gemma, took advantage of this. In fact, I remember you telling me a story that like she was on set and yep. the only place she could express was like in the rental car because I was shooting on location. Yeah. It's like uh, the way she described it is almost like in a superhero movie when the super has to go off and change into their costume. Like normally they go into a phone booth or they disappear off somewhere to get into their super outfit. That was Gem. The time would come to express and she would find a phone booth or a back alley or somewhere to go and express. Now, she's a freelancer essentially, but when she works for a different production companies, it is their job to take care of those situations. So she would have to make them aware that, look, I'm breastfeeding at the moment. And if I'm going to be on set for you know 14 hours, I'm going to need to express. So you need to have a designated area set aside for me that I can go and express the milk. So uh, if your partner is going back to work, that is very much a right that they have. Like they need to have a dedicated space where they can go in, um, express the milk and, yeah. and not be disturbed or, you know, holding their foot against the door of a public toilet or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, for I'm, I'm thinking about for, you know, your wife's a director and so they would, they would work those breaks into the schedule for the day. So you're employer has the obligation to work those breaks into your workload and into the schedule of the day. The other thing that your employer needs to do in Australia is if there are any changes to your job, your employer needs to discuss them with you even if you are on leave. So say, for example, in the analogy, in the example I used before, if you're on leave and, you know, you're at home with baby and they go, they, call, they have to call you up and say, hey, listen, by the way, the job now entails forklift driving. So you may want to think about getting a ticket before you come back because that's the job now. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the impetus is on them to inform you of, of these things. 
but there's also there's the, the pressure of getting back is uh, I guess you know some people go oh you finally a break, but um, yeah. <laughs> the pressure of getting back is is real because it's so all encompassing. And, you know, we've talked about it on this show before. It's like another person comes to live with you, but they will not contribute financially for 18 years. And so suddenly mm. the financial pressure on the house is so much more, yet, you know, there's an extra person not contributing and one less person probably working. It, it can be really tough. Well, you say they won't contribute to their 18, which is why I'm embarking Iona on a child star program. Yes. I'm going to be living off Brilliant. her. She's going to be my Shirley Temple. Oh, She's going to make bank like Macaulay Culkin and I'm then going to divorce me at the age of 11. That's my prediction. <laughs> Are you writing and directing her theatrical debut? I mean, obviously, that'd be the pathway, wouldn't it? No, no, no. I'm going to be the deadbeat dad, like Justin Bieber's dad. I'm just going to ride on the private jets and hang out with all her friends and you know, just be the loser in the FUBU jacket. But you can't show up until <laughs> after the first number one. That's when you show up. Yeah, that's right. You have to show up yeah. after hey, all the other parents are all hard sweet. work. <laughs> the loser in the FUBU jacket. Oh, my God. Uh, we were talking earlier about like th this is what we're basically discussing. It's interesting because I have this, you know, two people in my life who have jobs in the public service and they talk about their maternity leave. I'm like, mm. what? You get to negotiate how much? You get to, and then, you know, they can either go back full time or they can negotiate, you know, a certain amount of part time work when they return. It's just the amount of security that that gives them is phenomenal. And as Charlie mentioned, we're both idiots who've chosen a life of, unsure, unsustainable Uncertain. work in a shifting industry that's rapidly changing. Yeah. So at first it was like, oh, this is fine. I can, you know, decide when I want to go back to work. But then, you know, hanging out with baby and doing all baby stuff is so all-encompassing. You eventually, if you're working from home, it's a bit hard to set up those boundaries, right? Yeah. And also think about the time in which we had our children. I mean, you were kind of lucky because you had an ongoing job in the entertainment industry. But for Gemma and I, like we entered 2020 and a pandemic hits and everything shuts down. So all of a sudden that freedom that, you know, we, we decided we wanted to, our careers to be based around is the freedom to, you know, work when we wanted to work. Suddenly we had no choice about whether or not we were going to work or not. It was like, there's no work right now. So it was a pretty hairy times for a while, but luckily Luckily, it didn't last too long. And so then the next discussion you need to have is, okay, well, who's going back to work? Are you both going back to work? Is just mum going back to work? Is just dad going back to work? And if you are both going back to work or maybe one's going back full-time and one's going part-time, you need to start thinking about getting childcare organised. Now, Osh, you had a family assistance in that department? Uh, with childcare, uh, yeah, we are, and what Wolf's now a year and a half, and we're still waiting on a place at the childcare centre nearby. I don't know what it is in the water in our suburb, but, man, it's just no places anywhere. I think we got on the on the back end of a baby boom because we're not able to get him any, anywhere. We had Audrey's parents around looking after Wolf for a while to support Audrey, but eventually they had to go back to Queensland pre-COVID. They had to go back to Queensland. But the conversation mm. is really, really important. You know, I liken it to I once sat at a table with a woman who was eight months pregnant and they were both Australian but of Irish descent and um, he was in, you know, an O'Flannery and the other one was a Collins or something like that. And I said, all right, so, you know, you're both from Belfast, parents both from Belfast, what's, you know, what's baby mm. going to be? And at the same time, one said Protestant, the other said Catholic. I'm like, this is really a conversation you should have had well before you conceived. Similarly, it's of that kind of gravity, the conversation about 
how's it going to work when baby comes? What's the division yeah. of labor going to be? Because it's it's really, really important because otherwise things like resentments can creep in and like I'm up all night with baby, you know, looking after baby and you're fucking off doing stuff. And if in my case, I got to get out of the house. I got to go and do yeah. a job that's pretty fun sometimes. I got to go and be on set. I got to go and do adventurous things. Audrey was at home with the baby day in, day out. And if there's a, you know, you've got to be able to, be sure that there's a conversation that's had beforehand and it can be a difficult one about, listen, it's a more than a full-time job raising a baby and it's also the lights have to stay on. So mm. who's the one that's going to stay and the person that does go, what's the expectations about getting up overnight to feed if there's an early, early start for the person who's working? And you need to have these conversations before you're tired. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the flip side of that, you know, I'm the Audrey in this situation is Gemma was the one who went back to work. And that was uh, purely a pragmatic decision in that she had work on offer, you know, <laughs> like after yeah. the pandemic started, all of a sudden my work dried up. So it was uh, entirely um, made sense. We, we didn't actually have to have that discussion because it's like, well, Gem has work on offer, so I'll be the child carer. Now, for any dads out there, if you are intending to be the primary caregiver, I know it can be super intimidating, especially in that first six months, because you've been used to having a person around with breasts and breasts can immediately comfort and silence a baby when things get hairy. But all of a sudden now you have bottles and, and bags of frozen milk in the fridge with dates written on them. And you need to have your day super organized so you know exactly where you're going to be so you can give the child feeds at the right time so they can be home for naps, all that kind of stuff. I say all this, uh, you know, and it may sound overwhelming. I was quite surprised by how quickly not only I adapted to it, but the child adapts to it as well. I think there is a bias towards mothers, you know, from a kid. That's just the way it is. It's just an instinctive hormonal thing. But that doesn't mean when the mother is gone that the child pines for the mother. I think the child is smart enough. Its instinct kicks in. It's like, okay, primary caregiver is gone. I'm going to go to secondary caregiver and treat this guy okay. So don't freak out and think that, oh, I won't be able to silence or, or calm my child or, or get it to sleep because, you know, I'm not the mother. You will, but that means you need to be really, really organized. Um, Jeremy and I had to make sure that we had enough milk stored. That's probably in that first six months, that's the most important thing is start expressing by the top of the line breast pumps. Trust me, like yeah. the hand breast pumps. Forget about it. You don't want to skimp on that. It's a pain in the ass. You want to go for the full electric, as Osh uh, described it, the skill wrecks. Here comes the beats about to <laughs> the drop. Skrillex, eh, yeah. Eh, eh, it sounds eh. like the Skrillex dumpstep. <laughs> because although it's a pain in the ass and your wife will probably be like, you know, grumbling under her breath, it'll save you so much like heartache and stuff. You, the, the worst thing in the world is to have a crying baby and just not have milk available. And it might be too early for formula or maybe you don't want to go to formula. So just make sure you have enough milk prepared. The other thing you want to sort of discuss is how are the hours going to be broken down? Now, the way it works for Gem and, and most likely for you, Osh, is that when you're on set, you're generally on set for 14 hours at least. It's not like an eight-hour day. So you need to work out, all right, well, how is that going to go if it's a 5 a.m. start? you know, Should we maybe sleep in a separate room? Should maybe you sleep in a separate room? How are we going to keep the baby on schedule if you're not going to be around most of the day or you know, if you're coming home late, we don't want to wake the baby up? So that's all just like 
planning and discussion. And like Osh said, my recommendation is to have these conversations when you're well-fed and well-slept, not after a day of minding the child on your own and someone comes home after doing two hours of overtime. That tends to be a bad time to have that conversation. <laughs> a buddy of mine, Rich Roll, he used to talk about he was training for a thing called Ultraman when he had his daughter, his first daughter. And so he'd be, he'd come in from, he'd leave the house at 3.30 or 4 o'clock or whatever and go and do a 50-mile bike ride and come in from a four-hour bike ride at 8 in the morning or whatever and his wife's already, you know, been up with baby for so long. But she's got stuff to do. She's got, they've got three other kids or two other kids. And Richwood said he'd just walk in the door, just bastard after training his balls out for this triathlon and just get handed a baby, sweaty, still in his bike clothes and goes, all right, and she would just get in the car and go. <laughs> He's going to be sitting there in his bike nicks for hours with this child. But that was the balance they had to work out. That was that balance they had to work out. Trying to find the time when you both slept and well-fed is really important, but I can attest with Charlie what he said here. The moment that your partner walks in or the moment that you walk in the door is not the time to have the conversation about yeah. the division of labor between you. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, there, there's ways you can make it a more enjoyable experience. Um, so I'm speaking from the primary caregiver role as here. Yeah. You know, to kind of – because your partner is going to be very anxious, especially in the first couple of days of going back to work. So – Plenty of photos. Like, oh, yeah. let's do updates. This is baby having breakfast. This is baby at lunch. This is baby going for a stroll. This is baby playing. Here's the poo baby did. Audrey 100%. was fascinated in what the poo looked like. <laughs> so you want to just keep that the iPhone clicking and updating that stuff. But also, you know, take some time to really enjoy the moment you have. Not a lot of dads get this time with their child. Like, you're going to be mm. spending bonding time. I mean, I've been doing it recently. I own is older now, obviously, and so it's a bit of a different situation. But the last two weeks, Gem's been traveling interstate for work, and so it's just been me and her. And it had been a while since I had been on my own with her, and I again, I was getting a little nervous about it because I has been very clingy with mum and very much like, you know, mum's at the top of the tree. But the four or five days we had together where it was just the two of us was so great but you've got to commit to it. Like it can't be a begrudging, I've got other shit I need to do. This is taking time away from podcasting with my friends or whatever the fuck you're doing in your spare time. You know, I had other work on. I had like jobs I need to do, voiceovers, writing, all this kind of stuff I need to do. But I just had to swallow the fact that that is now not my priority. Once she went down to bed, I'd get two or three hours work done. But you just need to sort of shift your mindset around that because trust me, it's going to be so much worthwhile for you and for the kid. And when you start noticing those changes happening in your child, the fact that, you know, you'll pick them up the next morning and they seem to be a different kid. They're longer, their faces change. Suddenly they're a bit more vocal and stuff. If you spent the whole like preceding four or five days on your iPhone or just like, you know, resenting that kid for stopping you from getting in the way of what you're doing, then I think you're, you're missing out. Like, don't get me wrong. I understand that life is is a more rounded event than just being a parent and I'm not one of those people who's like, it's the greatest job in the world. It's, no, I understand. People have other interests. But if this is a decision you've made, then I'm just saying embrace it fully. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I totally understand the resentment factor. I had Wolf all the way up until his, his nap today. So I, I had morning shift today. And there was some work stuff just popping off on my phone. There was all kinds of shit going down. But I'm like, we got this Ikea little cubby house, like a pop-up tent kind of cubby house. I'm like, he'll never be in this for the first time again. He'll literally <laughs> never right. be this small again in his life. He'll never say this word for the first time ever again, you know. And yeah. 
yes, there's emails going off and shit like that, but really it can all wait. Yeah. And I understand the need to balance it all. I really, really do. But you can push it two hours. Like you can wait two hours before you text someone back. You know, there's this yeah. moment here. And I don't know about you, man, but if Wolf, if I were looking at my phone too much when I'm, when, when I'm with him, Wolf changes. He's like, mm. the fuck, you're not paying attention to me. Like he, he feels disconnected. He get, kind of gets this feeling that like he's alone in the room even if I'm there with him and it can be um, intense. As Iona's gotten older and you are your primary caregiver while Gemma's working at the moment, as Iona's mm. gotten older, you've got your own career to keep going. You're a freelancer. You've got to keep momentum up. You've got to keep in people's faces. How do you manage all the podcast stuff you do, the writing, the, the production stuff you do, the, you know, the writing, all the treatments and all that kind of stuff? How do you manage that around being there for the – instability of a, a day in the life of a baby? Well, it just comes down to planning and childcare. So initially when we were still living in Sydney, I had a couple of relatives, like I had my sister and my brother who I could rely on, but it sort of got to a point where I felt like I was taking the piss because the, I had a run of about three months where I was getting voiceovers every week. And, you know, generally with voiceovers, you only get like a day or two's notice. And so you've got to quickly try and organize. And I'd call my sister and be like, can I drop her off? I'll be gone for an hour and I'll come back. And she was always very generous and, you know, and would say yes. But then after a while, I'm like, I'm actually starting to inconvenience her. And it's not really the kind of time I want Iona to have with her relatives. I want her to bond with her auntie on a different level, not just as an obligation, but because, you know, she genuinely wants to spend time with her. So we started exploring babysitters. And so that's what we've done. We've enrolled her in daycare. That's more of a long-term prospect. So I've started structuring. So the other podcasts I do with Will at TOFOP, we've just had to restructure our schedule to fit around daycare. So Basically, I've got two days a week that I've booked set aside for daycare, which will be Monday and Wednesdays. So Will and I have uh, scheduled our recording to fit in between those days. And then I have a babysitter on call as a slider. <laughs> so if something happens on Tuesday or Thursday or Friday, that I can bring them in that instance. And then, like I said, after that, everything is, is after dark. So I have three interviews lined up this week. All of those I've scheduled for 8 p.m., which is generally uh, once she's asleep. And here comes the big question. How do you maintain and nourish and nurture the primary relationship in the household, which is the one between you and the mother of your child? I mean, this is the thing that I certainly struggle with. It's a hard one. It's, it's really difficult. Like I think that there are moments where like uh, the last four days with the flooding and, um, you know, Jem is in post on one job, pre on another job and pitching on a third job. I've recorded three podcasts and put down two auditions in the last two days and we have a child amongst all this. And so with the travel that we're doing for work, we've tried to set aside some time within that for us. So uh, Gem will be going to Sydney at the end of the week. I will go down with Iona for a couple of days just to break up because she'll be away for seven days and we've made a rule that no more than four days without mm. uh, seeing her. And so there's one day within that two-day visit that we are going to go out for dinner. My sister's going to babysit. We're going to have dinner together and just sort of actually try and not look at our phones and look at photos of her because that's the other thing is like the few dates we've had in the last few months where we've managed to get a babysitter or, or a relative to mind Iona, we always end up just talking about her and looking at photos of her on her phone or just like mm. re-watching videos. It's like, God damn it, this kid yeah. has really worked her way into our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, 
That's a real trick, I think. That's a real trick for me because my work at the moment is so different. We either shoot overnight or we shoot from daybreak. And that's hard on my body. It's also hard on our relationship, me and my wife, and it's also hard on the relationship with me and G. And so it's kind of all over the place. So it's, it's really, it's, there's no routine. No Monday in this whole year looks the same as any other Monday. It's really tricky and that's that's really tough on, on all of us. Don't worry, they pay me and it's fine and I'll get over it. <laughs> but yeah. um, as far as maintaining the relationship with my wife, it's deliberate. I find that we we try really hard just to go to bed a little earlier. We try not mm. watch one more episode of whatever it is we're doing and we just try and hit the sack earlier and then we just end up talking for like 40, 45 minutes before bed if we can stay awake. And that seems to be the time when we do get a chance to connect on the nights that I'm not working overnight. And there's also like, I mean, it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but actually giving your partner space from being a parent is sometimes the thing, the best thing that you can do for them and will help you as a couple. So, you know, I like to take Iona out after breakfast, first thing in the morning, and I'll take her out for about an hour and a half. We'll go for a walk through town, grab a coffee. I'll take her to a favorite playground. And that just gives Jem an hour and a half not to be working, not to be a mum, just to kind of like enjoy our house and, you know, have a cup of tea and, you know, maybe message some friends, whatever it is. And, you know, that strengthens our relationship. She'll do the same thing for me, you know, like I want an hour to go to the gym and so she'll do that. And it's really just being about sensitive to how your partner is going in terms of who's doing the most amount of hours with the kid, who's doing the most amount of hours on their job. And then switching those roles around. So, you know, this weekend has been very much about helping Jem with this treatment because, you know, we tend to work on those together where I will write them for her and she'll design them. And, and so it's really just like a give and take where it's like, okay, well, I need three hours to punch out this script and then I'll hand her back to you and then I'll, I'll take it back from you and then you can work for three hours. And so... I always say that the way Gemma and I work professionally kind of mirrors the way our relationship works as well in that, you know, Gemma is very much big picture, creative. I'm very much the pragmatist, you know, I get things done. So I like to make sure that the meals are prepared, the meals are organized. That's the other thing we should sort of say too for fathers who are preparing to do childcare. You not only want to have milk prepared, but you want to have your food prepared because, Trust me, you may have this kind of idyllic vision of you, you know, putting your baby into the ergo baby and strolling into your little cafe and all the girls in the cafe are ooing and of the baby. <laughs> you sit down and enjoy your bacon and eggs with a coffee. Ain't going to happen. Trust me, you'll order your food. It'll be just arrived at the table. Your baby will have a freak out. You'll be gulping down coffee and trying to shove a handful of eggs into your mouth and get back to your apartment. So yeah. you want to have some ready-to-go food, like maybe uh, prepare it the night before, like I tend to do a couple of days' worth of like, you know, pre-made meals that you can just eat something when the baby's napping or eat something with one hand. We have a, uh, a fantastic system that Audrey's put together, which has really helped as far as flexibility for all of us in that she's got these, they're kind of like a gigantic silicon ice cube tray, but it's around the size yes. of like a half a tennis ball, all right, yep. of like a small baby's fist full of food, right? I've got the same ones. So she'll do these big batches of 
of food in the pressure cooker, which is the other greatest thing ever. If you've got a pressure cooker and a freezer, you are fine. Should have these big batches of food and then we pop them all out and we put them all in a big container and they all just go in the freezer. And so there's two separate kinds. There's say, for example, a, a red meat one and a white meat one. Yeah, my baby's not vegan. When he grows up, he can decide if he, what he wants. Yeah, write, send us email at gmail.com for all your complaints. And um, <laughs> he, um, so what that really, it gives ordinary peace of mind knowing that no matter what, She's doing, say, if I've got the night shift or the afternoon shift with the baby, he'll be fine. He'll have it. But it also, it gives everybody space. It gives everybody space to make that happen. So the freezer really is your friend when it comes to not only breast milk, but also food prep. If you're trying to prepare every meal as you go, forget about it, mate. (laughs) You'll be rushed off your feet. Because don't forget, you're doing shitloads of laundry too. There's fucking so much to do. And like there are plenty of great food delivery services that send you pre-packaged meals if you can afford it or if you want something that's a bit more uh, fun, like you'd like to actually cook the food yourself, then there's places that send you just ingredients like HelloFresh. I mean, this is not a paid endorsement, but I uh, I will say that I've been using HelloFresh for six months now. And in terms of taking that stress away of, oh, shit, I need to do grocery shopping for the family and what are we going to cook? You just pre-select your meals. They get delivered to your door. All the ingredients are pre-proportioned so there's no wastage. And it's like Fisher-Price index cards to instruct you on how to put together these meals. Like even an idiot, even I can make these meals. And it, I tell you, Osh, it's, it's the greatest thing, especially after like a stressful day or a big day where you've both been working or it's just been full on, just to be able to go to the fridge, pull out a bag, pull out these Fisher-Price instructions and throw something together in 20 minutes. It'll, it'll save so much time. I think to, to put a cap on, on this conversation, I think, Charlie, a lot of it just comes down to communication. Well, like preparation and communication. That's mm. that's really what it is, depending on which one of you is going back to work. And I'm really grateful that we have an opportunity to, you know, speak from both sides of this coin, like me, the one who went back to work and you, the one who stayed as the primary caregiver. It's all about communication and communicating expectations. Because if you communicate your expectations beforehand about what it is you need and what you, you know, expect of, of the other person in the relationship, whatever that is, you'll, you'll stay away from resentment. And it's when the resentment creeps in, that's when things can start to go kind of pear-shaped for both of you. Because particularly, like if you're, say, for example, you've done 15 hours, say you work in a nine-to-five, right, or, and you've done an extra time and you come home and dinner's not ready and the, you know, the, the whatever, like you, let's say whatever traditional family values kind of 1950s Australian household <laughs> you think I'm thinking of. And, yeah. you know, the washing's not done, there's no clean undies or whatever, and your partner's crawled into a, a small ball on the couch because the baby's just gotten to sleep. Don't be upset that there's no food. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, you've got to understand what the fuck's going on there. You've got to give space for everybody. I mean, I know we say it every week, but like it, it astounds me. Like any time I've, I've had Iona on my own for any length of time, it astounds me that there are single parents out there who do this day in and day out yeah. <laughs> because I can go maybe three or four days and I'm like, oh, this is all right. But in that three or four days, like shit falls apart. No laundry gets done. No gardening gets done. Like there's mail stacking up in the mailbox because you've got barely time to do anything. And the fact that I have friends, both male and female, who are single parents who get this shit done, I'm like, that's amazing. Like you people are the real heroes. Like we should bring back fax machines just so we can specifically (laughs) send hero faxes to those single parents, the ones who are doing the hard yards, Osh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hero facts. Oh, my God. That's fantastic. And, well, hero email doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? 
The, the hero hero tweet doesn't really have it. <laughs> Not quite as good as a hero TikTok. Well, I certainly hope all this stuff's helped as you listen and, and think about what it is and what your expectations around going back to work. And, you know, Charlie's description of the amount of effort involved is is pretty apt. It's, it's really important. And, and, you know, and then just be realistic about the balance of when you do go back to work, understand that you're going to have to earn out the, the daycare or the, the babysitter before you make any profit on the hours away. Like, be realistic about it. You know, you're not going back to mm. the form of financial bottom line you had before. You now have this added cost that you have to recoup before you can even make $1, which is tricky to swallow, but you know, that's the reality of the situation. But yeah, communicate and prepare. And trust me, the grass will always look greener on the other side. Like whoever's going back to work will be like, oh, God damn it, I'd love to just sort of stay at home and spend time with the child. And whoever's staying with the kids like, oh, God damn it, I'd love to get out of the house and just do something different and, you know, reconnect with my life. It's the same for both, you know. And if you can somehow work some um, equality or some parity into that relationship, you know, where uh, at least, you know, if someone is doing the Monday to Friday, that at least the weekends, you know, you can do some more of the heavy lifting, then I reckon that will go a long way to ensuring that your relationship stays healthy. I absolutely, I love taking the weekend shift. I love it. I think it's great. Been a bit tricky considering I don't have a submersible baby pram, but (laughs) you never know. They might be stocking them by the end of the week. You can send us an email, askdadpod at gmail.com. This is coming in from Justin. My three kids are a little bit older right now. I'm finding great joy in listening to both of your struggles, knowing they're mostly behind me. This year, my eldest will be turning 11, but not long after he was born, sitting around a glass top table with some other new parents, one of the mums asked the group if anyone had had the dream. Going to try and keep this brief, but the mum was referring to a dream common to new parents where they have a realistic dream of tragedy and harm befalling their new child. A couple of other mums and dads said that they had suffered through similar dreams, most of them waking up devastated in tears. It was explained to me that it's subconscious trying to prepare you emotionally for the trials and tribulations of being a new parent and looking after and loving this new thing. But then you get to wake up from it, kind of a trial run, if it does Mm. happen. I don't know if it was like the Oracle telling Neo not to worry about breaking the vase, but a few nights after this conversation, I had one of these dreams. (laughs) I woke up in tears and I was shattered. I didn't have the dream with the second or third kid. Have either of you had the dream? I don't think I have had the dream. Have you? Um, I had a waking version of it. What was that? When Wolfie was just born, I think he was less than 24 hours old. I was holding him in my arms and I could see the, like one floor down and to the right from where we were was the ward where they take all the kids that are, you know, born with really, really serious complications like missing a lung or, you know, really heavy, heavy duty stuff. And it it was so profound upon me that in the same building under the same roof, breathing the same air from the same air conditioning unit, there was another set of parents whose child was as old as our baby was, just devastated because their child was born either with some you know, really devastating physical abnormality or a, a brain dysfunction or something horrible and that their life expectancy would probably be quite minimal and just, it just destroyed me to, you know, be aware of that. And I have kind of carried that with me a bit. Um, yeah. I haven't had it as a dream, but I do, I have it as a waking dream. Like when I hear about you know, a child passing away in a car accident or something like that, I instantly think about it being wolfy and it just, it's a, it's a wooden stake through the heart, you know? 
Yeah, it's funny. I guess I haven't had like a subconscious dream, but I definitely do have moments, like you say, where you sort of drift off into kind of some sort of negative fantasy about your child, like where you you sort of toy with the fact of what if something would have happened to them, especially, you know, Iana's had a couple of incidents which have required her to be hospitalized, nothing serious, but, you know, just more precautionary kind of thing. And you can't help, but in those instances, your mind sort of racing ahead. I mean, the only thing I would say about that is just, you know, it's that mindfulness that we often sort of encourage people to practice on this show. Like, you are so emotionally bound to this thing, this mm. this creature, this, you know, as Gemma and I often say to each other, we made this. <laughs> like, she came yeah. from us. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, she's a product of us. And so it, it, you will know, you will not know love and compassion like you do for your own child. But in that instance, it's it's probably best to kind of, just stay in the moment so when there are incidents in which you know they bump their head or they've got a cough or they're getting sick that don't immediately rush to WebMD and 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 go to the worst possible scenario because mm. you know you're going to be in a heightened emotional state i have been really grateful for all the doctors that we've met and every time we've had to go to a hospital they've been really great at just sort of helping ground us and sort of they're very sympathetic to the fact that parents, especially new parents and parents of young children, tend to be hypersensitive to any kind of ailment. And the idea is that like kids are going to get sick, they're going to bump their heads, they're going to, you know, encounter adversity. And as they get older, I imagine it's only going to get more complicated because it's going to be emotional adversity, you know, it's going to be mental adversity. The thing to keep in mind or that I try and keep in mind is that I got to being an adult somehow and I encountered the same dangers and obstacles along the way and, you know, I managed to survive. And if you are a conscientious parent who's doing everything in your power to keep your child safe, those things that are unforeseen, you know, you just got to rely on the fact that your kid will get through that as well. I don't know if that's helpful advice but that's what helps me. But it's the truth, Charlie. Part of why being in love feels so good is because it comes at the risk of heartache and um, rejection that's the price that you pay. That's why it's like anything. It's like why does why does surfing a big wave feel exciting? Because the the risk is death, you know? Yeah. Why it does being in love with a baby and nurturing a child feel so absolutely incredible? Because if it goes away, it would be equally as horrible. Like that's the price the price we pay for incredible uplifting feelings is the risk of the opposite happening. And that's what humanity is. And that's, that's why being with this Wolfie, we were talking about this before, is so fucking incredible because he'll never be this little again. So every mm. single fucking moment is amazing. I mean, it's also like, it's, a, it's just a, a harsh reality to know that at some stage uh, your child will rebel. And that yeah. is just a natural part of growth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I know it's coming. Like I have uh, friends who have teenagers and I know it's coming and I know what to expect. But part of me is like, maybe, maybe Iona will be the exception to the rule. Yeah. Maybe she'll be daddy girl, daddy's girl right to the end. It's like, nah, man. Yeah. Like, And I was a good teenager too. Like I wasn't even a bad teenager, but I was still a shit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just a it's just a natural development of children to challenge their their yeah. parents. Justin signs off pretty brilliantly. He says, uh, "A fun dad thing to do. I blame my tiny bladder on having three children." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sorry, sounds such great. a weak bladder. I've had three kids. <laughs> That's really good. Askdadpod at gmail.com, where you can find us, Dadpodgram on Instagram. 
Osh, it's time to induct another father into the Dad Pod Hall of Fame. Brilliant. Uh, this season, of course, we are focusing on father figures. Before we get to this week's induction, I just thought I would read this message. This was sent to us at Dad Pod Graham by JJ. He says, a nomination for Dad Pod Hall of Fame. This man was born in Japan and had to watch his girlfriend get murdered by his dojo rival. He then fled to America for fear of his own life. Homeless, he opted to seek refuge underground. One day, a small child carrying four small turtles tripped up and they fell down a great landing in a puddle of mutagen. This man went to help out but got himself covered in the mutagen, which saw him turn into a man-sized rat. He then saw four turtles become man-baby turtles, and despite being a homeless rat man with a dead girlfriend, he took the four boys under his wing and raised them as his own. I feel Master Splinter deserves to be saluted. Well, JJ, if you listen to episode six of Dad Bot, I think you're going to be very pleased because we did indeed induct Master Splinter last week. And and what a dad. What a great – like he's still echoing in the in the halls of Dad Pod, <laughs> the Hall of Fame. It's just Although- echoing – there. The one thing is uh, that that's a different canon that JJ, I, the, the Splendor I inducted into that pod was a, a rat who became more of a sentient humanoid rat through the mutagen. He's saying this guy was a human who was turned into a rat. JJ, I think you're going off the animated series, which I don't know, as a hardcore TMNT uh, uh, aficionado, I don't know if that's official canon. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, send all complaints to Charlie Corson at uh, Big Pond. <laughs> uh, Osh. Hit me. I'm not even, not, not gonna, there's not going to be a big run-up on this one. I'm just going to say one line to you. Go. The world don't move to the beat of just one drum. Phil Drummond? <laughs> Philip Drummond, yes. Phil Drummond from Different Strokes? I mean, from, from, let's from be honest, strokes. what you talking about, Charlie? <laughs> I mean, would that show fly today? Fuck Is it a little no. kind of? No, oh there's no God. way, right? Okay, guys, here it is. Here's the pitch, okay? <laughs> Every Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, we bring White Saviour to prime time. <laughs> it's going to be great. The former housekeeper, stay with me, the former housekeeper passes away and the man that lives in a penthouse on Fifth Avenue who's already got a mid-late teenage daughter says, you know what? I'll take her two boys and they can meet my new housekeeper who is not black but white and they can live with me, Arnold and Willis. I mean, it is very problematic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No. I never knew what Phil Drummond did for a job. The, the show we're talking about is called Different Strokes. It was on prime, it was primetime television. Yeah, it was primetime television. And, I mean, I think the – Probably these days, the the most notable thing about Different Strokes is like, you know, just how much it fucked up that child cast. Like, uh, you know, I think oh. which one of them ended up in jail? It wasn't Gary Coleman. Todd Bridges. Todd he had Bridges, a lot of who issues. played Willis, ended up in prison. Dana, Dana Plato, who the played daughter Kimberly. Didn't do well. She had all kinds of drug issues, and I think she ended up passing away. Gary Coleman, I think uh, he did all right, but then you're obviously getting typecast because wasn't he like a 40-year-old man playing like a 10-year-old or something like that? He was a, yeah, he was an older guy, but he was a very small person, so he played a kid because he had a little voice and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And then it spins off into the facts of life, which is probably the greatest crime to do with different strokes. But look, as far as father figures go, Phil Drummond was an okay kind of guy. At least he put his money to good use. Yeah, he helped these, these two young guys <laughs> have, have a better, perhaps better outcome. I mean, let's be honest, it was the late 70s, early 80s in New York and, the, you know, life probably wouldn't be great ahead of them. I don't know. That that show even got commissioned was brilliant and it gives me hope to pitch the show I'm currently working No. <laughs> oh, no, God. Hey, I've got a bit of trivia for you about different strokes. Do yeah. you know who composed the theme song? 
Who wrote the theme song? Yeah. The very catchy, famous theme song. Oh, it's going to be someone humongous like Stevie Wonder or someone. No, no, no. It's actually odd because the guy who wrote it, it was also a sitcom dad whose son uh, became quite a big pop star about five years ago, had a a huge album and a huge single. Uh, Canadian. No idea. The show was called Growing Pains. No, hit me. Who was it? Alan Thicke. Father of Robin Thicke. Thicke. He wrote the theme, he wrote the Different Strokes theme song. Isn't Alan that crazy? Alan Thicke wrote the Different Strokes. He could have retired off that kind of money. Mechanical 100%. royalties are amazing. Yeah, but then he decided to be a sitcom dad himself and like Growing Pains, I feel like that was a pretty big show as well, right? It was massive. Oh my and then he, goodness. Oh, hey, he's the real winner here. And then he gave birth to Robin Thicke, who then wrote a song about, you know, questionable consent. <laughs> yeah. Well, we was, we were, this tangent was going really well before you brought up his name. You know? This has been a disastrous induction into the death of We'll put Phil Drummond in the back. We'll put him in yeah. the back by the coffee right urn and no back. one, you know, yeah. people won't see him. <laughs> That brings us to the end of another episode of Dad Pod. Please email us, askdadpod at gmail.com. Find us, uh, Dad Pod Graham. Charlie, I'm off upstairs to have an exciting adventure with, I don't know what it's called, but it's like a small tube that I shove up Wolfie's nose and I suck on the other end and it just extracts snot out of his face because the little lad is just a factory of nasal mucus right now. And um, that is he disgusting. can't really drink his bottle because he can't breathe out of his mouth and it's really tough. I mean, following along the same lines, I'm going to go out to my uh, front yard where it is pissing down with rain. I'm going to stick my sump pump into my stormwater drain and extract gallons of water, not from my child's nose, but from my house so the friggin' downstairs living room stops flooding. Maybe I need to go to Bunnings and get a sump pump for Wolfie's face. <laughs> They've probably got one. That'll, That'll be episode everything. eight of Dad Pod. <laughs> How to remove snot from your kid's face. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Go to bed. <laughs> <laughs>